This morning, we are concluding the series we've been in for the last couple months as we've been journeying through this somewhat obscure book of of Nehemiah. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the series, the the reason that we spent so much time in it is there, there are some parallels between what the Israelites were experiencing at this time in their history and what we are experiencing as a church and as a society as a whole today. The books of, of Ezra and Nehemiah, they, they tell of a time in, in Israel's history about uh, 450 years or so before Jesus was born when, when a people who had been in exile for a generation or two or even three generations, they returned to Jerusalem and they begin rebuilding. But it wasn't just about a wall it, or even really about just rebuilding the city or the temple as important as all of those things were to their identity as a people. It it was about restoring who they were, restoring their identity, remembering their purpose, and figuring out how to live into that purpose in a world that had completely changed, in a world that looked very different then than it did when Jerusalem was established generations prior. In the same way as we opened our church doors, as we returned to somewhat regular activity, we've been invited to remember who we are, to, to remember who we are as a church while recognizing the world around us looks completely different today than it did 18 months ago. The, the story of Nehemiah begins when he, he shows up while uh, a friend of his shows up, I should say, while he's working as a, a cupbearer to the Persian king. It's the passage that we read earlier. It tells him about how bad everything has gotten in Jerusalem. The, the, the people, they were in need of a leader. They were in need of a plan. And Nehemiah is that leader who brings the plan. He organizes the people. They, they get to work. And as they do, Nehemiah responds to all sorts of kind of internal and and external pressures and questions. But it's clear that God's hand is in the middle of what the people were doing. Then, as we explored the last two weeks, the Israelites respond with this joyful worship service that forces everybody to pay attention to what was happening in their church, in their community, excuse me. The celebration didn't necessarily mean that the work was done. It it, it just meant that they were on their way, that they were on their way to restore and reclaim the identity that God had given them. So so next week as a church, when we dedicate our, our courtyard that I walked in this morning and I looked out on the courtyard and I said, oh, it's done but the hole is getting bigger in the middle of the courtyard that could be a problem next week but but next week as we we gather to celebrate what god has done as we dedicate our our courtyard together remember church next sunday is going to be outside um on on the courtyard and and as we do that we'll be celebrating what god has done in the past year and, and really what god has done throughout the history of this church and we will commit ourselves to the next chapter It's a chance to acknowledge that progress has has happened while recognizing that our our journey still continues. So we we pick up our passage this morning at the tail end of Nehemiah, and it almost ends in the same way that that it starts, with this idea of remembering, this idea of remembering who they are, with you know the the prayer that that we read earlier that the the people share. It's 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 got a lot. It's confession and it's commitment. 
confession to what their people had been and commitment to what they will, will be as they move forward. So the celebration had finished and, and some of the priests and the leaders, you know, they're, they're trying to kind of find that everyday rhythm. The excitement was gone. What was next? And, and then we, we read this. But while all this was going on, while they were returning to that everyday rhythm, I was not in Jerusalem, Nehemiah. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw out all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah, the priest, Zadok the scribe, and a Levite named Pedadiah. Pedadiah, remember all the names are difficult, Nehemiah. In charge of the storerooms and made Hanan, son of Zikar, the son of Madaniah, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. Remember me for this, my God. Do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My wife's least favorite movies are are the movies that don't have a clear redemptive value. Or the movies that don't really tie up at the end of the story that leave things undone. If someone were to make a movie of Nehemiah... I'm not sure she would enjoy it. We, we all like things that, that kind of end well. We all like stories with, with happy endings. And, and through Nehemiah chapter 10 verses, or chapter 10 through chapter 12, it looks like we are going to get one. Remember, at the end of of those chapters, we see people gathered along the walls, two choirs singing. We see people playing all kinds of instruments. We see people eating all kinds of great food. Everything is back. We are good. Let's go. They're excited. Then we get here. Nehemiah, he had returned to, to Babylon to, to work with the king. Remember, he was the cupbearer of the king. He worked in the king's court before going to Jerusalem. Eventually, he became the governor in Jerusalem. But now, he was back. He, he, he was back in his, his other role. Probably had another job in the king's court. And he hears, he hears that the Israelites who lived in the city that he had worked so hard to rebuild and restore had slid off the track that he helped them get on. They defiled the house of God. They went back on their commitments. So he returns to see what Eliashab and the others had done. When he sees just how bad things had gotten, he says, God, I, I tried my best. I tried my best. Remember me. But please don't blame me for all these things. Then Nehemiah looks around and saw the people of Judah who had just learned to 
kind of follow the laws of Sabbath, but in a way that, that made sense in their contemporary context. He saw them turn their back on their, their commitment. And he tries to remind them, but it's, it's fruitless. So he, he cries out, God, remember me for this too. I tried. I tried to remind them of what it meant to go to church on Sunday morning. And they didn't listen. Have mercy. Show me your, your, your love. It continues as the people, uh, some of who are ignoring Sabbath laws, they, they begin to also ignore their purity laws. And, it, and they kind of journey farther and farther away from the commitments that they made as they rebuilt their, their city. And Nehemiah says, God, God, re- remember them. Remember them and, and remember me. Now, we don't really know how public Nehemiah's cry is here. We, we don't really know how many people heard it, but we do know that it was public enough to be written down and then read here 2,500 years later. The idea of remembering, whether it's a plea to be remembered ourselves or, or to remember significant events, it is incredibly important for identity formation. So just this past week, as a community and as a country, we committed a lot of time and energy to remembering. Last Sunday was the third anniversary of the borderline shooting. And all of of Thousand Oaks, all of our community was invited to take part and remember in in a service that was held in, in the park. It was also the third anniversary of the Woolsey fire. I can't tell you how many conversations I had. Maybe you had some conversations as well with people who remember what it was like to drive down the 101 as the hills were on fire on the side of them. We remember that. And then as the winds picked up on Friday, thinking through all those who lost homes, how they might feel those warm winds differently than, than I do. We spend time remembering. Wednesday was Judy Hightower's birthday. Judy was our our preschool director here for for decades, and she always got together on her birthday with some of her her teacher friends here. And so we got together, and we remembered Judy. Thursday was Veterans Day, a day our entire country spends time remembering and giving thanks. That's a a picture of one of my, my heroes, my Uncle Dave. He was a photographer in Vietnam and who's been struggling this year with some health issues. We, we remember. Remembering is an important part of who we are. It's an important part of what defines us. And when we spend time remembering, we, we connect our past, our past with our present, and our past with our future. We celebrate. We weep. We tell stories. And hopefully we recognize the places where God was there in our past to remind us that God will be there as we move forward as well. So the Bible is it's full of stories of people reminding one another to remember the past, of God imploring his people to remember what was most important, from the rhythms of everyday life like rituals and, and sacraments that define our beliefs, and of stories like this one in Nehemiah where people ask God, as Nehemiah does, to remember them. That's one of the main themes of the Psalms. You read through the Psalms, God, don't forget me. 
God, God, don't forget me. Remember me. Now, the Hebrew word that's used here for remember is it's the same word that's used often in the Old Testament. And, and it captures the idea of something from the past affecting what we experience in the present. It's why we might think of a word or phrase from childhood, maybe from our own grandparents while talking with our kids or grandkids today. And it's what's behind the saying that many of us heard from history teachers, or at least I heard from my my AP U.S. history teacher in high school all the time. Why do we learn history? Because those who don't learn from the past are destined to repeat it. As a community of faith, we remember in order to examine the past and to open ourselves up to the possibilities for the future. It's not about erasing what's happened. It's about learning from it and building upon that foundation. One of my favorite examples of this sort of remembering comes from the story of Joshua. Remember, as, as Joshua crosses the, the Jordan River after Moses died, he, he, he walks across the river with, with his people, and he asks the priests to each carry, or 12 of the priests, I should say, to carry a stone out of the river to build a memorial of sorts, memorial stones, to, to remember the significance of what was happening. Now, that monument, it would have been incredibly important for those who were building it. Imagine being a part of that, that moment. But it also honored the past. It also honored the wandering that Moses had led the people through for years and years and years. They were remembering that. They, they had crossed over and enter the land that God had promised them. They were honoring the past. It was significant for the present, and it meant something for the future. So their kids and grandkids could return to the memorial stones and remember how the past shaped how they lived in the present. It's the sort of story that Nehemiah and his contemporaries would have leaned on. They would have shared that story as they rebuilt their city. A story of God's faithfulness, a story of God's deliverance. The story that we need to be reminded of today. After all the work that Nehemiah put into rebuilding the city, it's, it's understandable that he'd be frustrated with what was going on. They, they had done all this work. He was governor. Things were, were thriving for a season, and now not so much. The people of Jerusalem had done exactly what they promised not to do. For Nehemiah, this, this meant... They, they had broken the covenant they made earlier. It, it meant that that, that that covenant that was established in chapter 10, where they have that, that worship service, where they would take care of God's house. They would take care of the temple. So, so Nehemiah, he, he pulls them together and he appoints treasures or, or managers, really, to, to, to manage, to be stewards of, of the resources that the temple has. And yet, it doesn't work out the way that he envisioned So when Nehemiah asked God to remember him, he's saying, look, I've been faithful. I did my part to take care of the temple and to make sure the holiness laws were observed, even though others maybe didn't. Out of context, Nehemiah might come across here as being kind of whiny. God, I've done my part and it didn't work. Everyone else is blowing it, but I did my part. So remember me. How come no one's listening to me? I don't think that's exactly what's happening here. 
He's grieving. He's grieving that things don't look the way that he thought they would have. Progress had stalled. The, The restoration didn't turn out the way that he thought it would, and he wanted to make sure that God remembered that. But it didn't stop with the temple. It also, it also carried into to keeping the Sabbath. Again, God, no one's going to church anymore. They've got kids playing sports on Sunday morning. They've got, they've got other priorities. Why aren't they in church? Why doesn't Sunday morning look like it did when I was growing up? Okay, maybe that's me projecting on Nehemiah. <laughs> But it is the same sort of prayer, a lament of sorts. He warns the nobles to not defile the Sabbath, to not accept or condone any sort of of trade happening on that day within the city and ask God to show mercy because even though he did everything he could, his people were stuck in a routine. His people were stuck in a a way of living that they, they couldn't get out of. The last verses of Nehemiah show his disappointment with the way that Israelites had, had mixed with, with other cultures. They had, they had returned to marrying people who had other belief systems, who had other traditions, something that they, they did while they were in exile, but something they weren't supposed to do while they were in, in Jerusalem. And, and Nehemiah saw this as a threat to the holiness of his people, to a threat to the, their way of life. And honestly, I think he's just grieved that things look different, including family life, that it looked different. Life didn't look the way that he thought it would after all of the work that he put in. That the priests in the temple, the worship practices of the people, the cultural customs, it all changed. And it's pretty clear that that it doesn't sit well with him, that he, he didn't like it. So we ask God to remember. I, I almost hear a cry in his voice. God, I hope I made a difference. I hope what I committed my life to mattered. I, I also think that Nehemiah is pretty hard on himself here at the end. And hard on his, his people as well. Things weren't happening fast enough, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't progress being made. It's almost as if it was one of those instances where, where he needed to kind of step back just a, a little bit farther to be able to see the forest through the trees, to get a wider perspective, which is hard to do when you're in the middle of work that you believe is important. So my encouragement for us today is, is to do just that. To, to take some time this week to, to step back, to gain some perspective, to remember what brought you to where you are today. Personally, for us as, as a church, as we get ready to dedicate the courtyard next week and kind of turn the page to what's next, the next chapter of our church, remember what, what brought you to where you are today. May we be honest with our past so that we can lean into God with whatever the future holds. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you so much for the story of Nehemiah. Remind us that 
rebuilding, reforming, and restoration is a, a process that takes time. And remind us that sometimes it doesn't go the way that we think it should go or the way that we want it to go. But Lord, we ask that you would, would honor the, the work that we put in. Continue to mold us into the people you want us to be. We pray these things in your name. Amen.